clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar! And open the door to join us for the 60th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm a low-down, dirty Labrador retriever, Meredith. And I'm the cultural attache to the Cetacean Nation, Mike. And we meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. Roar! Roar! To talk about our favorite animals. Where we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow! So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all the kingdom animalia. Oh, welcome back! Oh, it's great to be here in the Dalmatians. It really is. It really is. It feels so nice. I have some new lighting here in my spot in the station it's really like taking it into a more cozy realm i don't know if you can notice the shadows on my face i do well what i notice is that there's light on your face yes the appearance of the shadows is not just additional absence of light right (laughs) exactly yeah it was a long needed addition to the d station over here yeah you're you're looking good it's i can really see your smile meredith you are glowing Thank you. It's my sunscreen. (laughs) That oily slick on my face. Uh, How are you, Mike? How's your week been? Well, it's been pretty good. I would say the most interaction I've had with animals is consuming them. (laughs) Frankly, I took a trip from my home. I left my burrow. I've mostly just been staying inside, which is fine with me. And I went to my local vegetable market as well as a meat market where they have like lambs in the window and everything. Yeah. And then I also went to the fish market. So I kind of did a whole little like tour de force of markets, if you will. It's like the protein trifecta. Yeah. Yeah. I was giving you like a little bit of like an herbivore realness. And then I thought of the voles as I walked past the sweet potatoes, you know. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I thought of different types of beetles as I walked by peppers. So that was kind of nice. Yeah, I dig that. I dig that. Besides that, Meredith, I've really just been thinking a lot about whales and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like cetaceans are so cool. (laughs) They really are. Yeah. They really are. And I'm still, you know, after listening to last week's episode, I'm still like, cannot wrap my mind around the size of these bad boys. Yeah. Yeah, it, just the thought that like three blue whales together is like, it's like a million pounds. It's, I know, people get all freaked out about like space and stuff, but I'm like, have you ever really pondered a blue whale? Yeah, they're pretty big. Yeah, they're fucking huge. Yeah. How was your week in animals, Meredith? Fairly uneventful, really. I mean, actually in the crossword today, I think the clue was something like the largest terrestrial arthropod and I was just like oh my gosh I feel like I should know this I feel like I should know this and it was like part of the like larger like puzzle within the puzzle so it was a long clue so it's hard to guess yeah and it was something I didn't it turns out I didn't know it it wasn't something I should have known it was the coconut 
crab. Oh my God. Yeah, that makes sense. I should have known that. <laughs> I sure didn't. I was like racking my brain. I was thinking insects. Well, right. Yeah, me too. Considering that it could have been, you know, any of a number of our Malcastraca friends. Exactly. Exactly. And also I've been doing a lot of um like online dance classes. Not cool. teaching them, taking them. Yeah, love that. And there was a great um in this Horton class I was taking, there was a great cat appearance. It was really cool. The instructor <laughs> was like, Cat dance, yeah. <laughs> I love a cat dance. Yeah, it was really I really appreciated that. I was like, is that a kitty? Yeah. That's a kitty. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it was definitely an added bonus. I didn't pay for the cat appearance. I got to say, I want a cat so bad right now. Me too. It's like something that I really would love. I would love a cat. It's all I think about. It's all I think about. Anthony's sister just got one, like a rag doll, which is one I've, a cat I've been wanting like my whole life. And it's just, I'm profoundly, profoundly jealous. (laughs) And I keep asking about it. Sure. (laughs) Does it have a name yet? Does it have, do you have more pictures? I'm just losing my mind over here because I want one so bad. Yeah, that's how I feel. I would love a cat. Can you have one in your apartment? Have we talked about this? Oh, wait, you're allergic. That's. I'm allergic. I'm allergic. Yeah. I think that the ups, but I don't know. I don't know what the rules are about cats in my building, Meredith. I guess I could inquire, but I know that there was a dog in the building since I've lived here Mm -hmm. and there was a little bit of a concern about the dog where it didn't work out Mm. but I think the people that were involved in that left so I don't know that it would be awkward if I got a dog because I did ask about a dog previously yeah someone was gonna maybe move in with a dog which you know whatever yeah well do you want to get into it I think we should (laughs) All right, I go first because it's an even-numbered episode, right? Yes. Okay, here we go. You ready to kick it off with the old taxonomy cheer? I am. Are you ready? Okay. Taxana you. Taxana we. Taxana who? Taxonomy. Kingdom. And Amelia, this isn't a podcast about furniture. Philo. Arthropoda, my number one frenemy. Malcastraca, crabs, lobsters, shrimp with lice. Order. Decapods, 10 feet are better than one. Family. Fortunidae, this fam contains the swimming crabs. Genus. Calinectus, a genus with six extant beautiful swimmers. Species. Sapidus, the blue crab, aka the Atlantic blue crab. Oh my gosh, and I was just mentioning crabs. I know, I know. We were just literally talking about <laughs> our Malcastracan friends. Oh my God. Yes. So I don't know, Meredith. I don't know about the coconut crab. And of course, literally, I'm thinking like I am doing a crab and I don't think crab. I think insect when I think arthropod. Again, we're here to talk about our chordata privilege. Yeah, we just have these preconceived notions that we're just going to have to like gradually break down. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Join me on my shrimp adjacent journey. Yes, I'm I'm on board. Put me in coach. Economy <laughs> comfort for me, please. <laughs> Ugh, the tall tax. That's what we call it. The additional cost oh. that it takes for you to actually fit in a physical place. We call that the tall, the tax. tall tax. There's also the fat tax, yeah. which is when clothing that is actually large enough to fit a human right. costs more right. because the human is larger. Right. But 
just as the Kingdom Animalia, this is not a podcast about furniture. It's also not a podcast about clothing. Nope. Phylum, Arthropoda, my number one frenemy. You know them, you love them, you hate them, you don't necessarily want them in your house. <laughs> no. Subphylum, crustaceans. There we are. Large, diverse arthropod taxon. We got crabs, we got lobsters, we got crayfish, we got shrimp. We got prawns, we got krill, woodlice, we even got barnacles. Oh, shit. I was just thinking about barnacles, how creepy they are. I need to do barnacles one of these days to, like, confront this fear. I don't often think of barnacles, but I would love to learn more about them. I guess I don't really know anything at all. Yeah, I do know that Sydney, friend of the pod, is, like, terrified of them. Like, terrified. Like, cannot think about them, can't look at them. I can't say I really blame her. They're kind of creepy. I had this, like unfound fear obviously unfound when I was little that like if I spent too much time in the ocean that like barnacles would start growing on me Mm. because that's what happened like ships and rocks that spend a lot more time in the water submerged in the water than I ever would as a seven-year-old beachgoer but you know such is the mind of babes hey babe I always just thought that barnacles were more like mollusks so I guess I'm just kind of surprised to be learning that they're not you know what I mean I think they have molluskness to them in the sense that they like they have this like hard that like probably calcium carbonate structure but then like what's so weird about them is they like fuse to things it's just you know what let's put a pin in this <laughs> we'll talk about it when we do barnacles we're here not to talk about I'm barnacles. So we're talking about the class malacostraca <laughs> which is the largest of the six classes of crustacean this is where we get the lo- crabs, lobsters, crayfish, woodlice, amphipods, mantis shrimps, our faves. Yes. Oh, mantis shrimp. Yes. We get to the decapods. This is where we get crayfish, crabs, lobsters, prawns, shrimps. Most are scavengers. There's about 15,000 species, around 2,700 genera, about 3,300 fossil species. This is the estimate. Right. Okay. Now we are at family Portuni Day. The swimming crabs are in this family. So now you remember, Meredith, in our previous discussions of the horseshoe crabs with the adaptation of the pedipalps. Yes. So these are Portuni Day are full of portent as they use (laughs) their rear legs as like fins okay. to propel themselves through the water. So their hind legs are specially adapted to yeah. help them swim through the water. So they can swim. They are bottom dwellers. You know, they're scavengers. They live on the bottom right. of the ocean. They're kind of like hanging in the benthic zone. Sure. But they can swim around. Okay. Yeah, I've never... Uh, I didn't know that about blue crabs, actually. Yeah. That's cool. Um, It's the fifth pair of legs that's been flattened into broad paddles. Oh. Oh, how convenient. Mm-hmm. And that, plus their strong, sharp claws, allows them to be like aggressive predators and mm-hmm. stuff. So I got a lot of information from a YouTube video. It was a documentary called The Blue Crab, Calinectus Sepidus. It's from Swamp Fox Media. And I recommend it. It's got a really nice like 90s soft Vaseline on the lens kind of vibe to it. But I enjoyed the information from it. And that was a primary resource for me. So they're sexually dimorphic. Okay. So the ladies and the guys have different anatomy. Like if you flip the crab over Mm -hmm. and it almost looks like on the women, the lady crabs, that the 
tail sort of like a tail like structure Mm -hmm. has curled up and so it's like a u-shape okay it says kind of like the dome of the capitol building yes and i know what you're talking about yes and then on the boy crabs the tail is very thin and elongated and they say it looks like the washington monument yes which is a polite way of saying it looks like a dick yes so if you flick the crab over and it looks like it kind of has like a right washington monument shaped tail situation that's like pushed down across its stomach if you will crab stomach that's a (laughs) boy crab but if it's like a u-shape that's a lady crab Hmm. and if it's a v-shape then it's a virgin lady crab I have to look. Okay, so I know all of this from like just not really eating crab because I don't really. The only thing I'll even go near is like leg meat. Uh huh. But uh-huh. I don't myself like dissect them or, you know, take part in like crab stuff usually. <laughs> but I do know that you like kind of pull that thing down. Like you take the tip of the Washington Monument, I think it's called like the apron, and you pull it down. And that's like the first step of like cracking into your crab yes that is what i saw as well yeah yeah but i've seen all of this that's like the access point i do wonder if there's like some that are more like are dudes better for eating or the women because i think i only remember ever seeing the like washington monument ones but and certainly not a v-shape well (laughs) a virgin crab the boys tend to be larger so they would have a greater quantity of meat Sure. And then the ladies, if they have eggs, like what is their egg status? Mm. You know, like what's the what's going on with the eggs? Like they're because you know people like raw, like roe. People mm. like eating roe. So oh my gosh, we've been referring to eggs like chicken eggs recently as land roe. Of course you have been. <laughs> Sick. Okay, so. <laughs> I would just like to start with your favorite concept, which is crab romance. Oh, I love that we're doing this first. Yes. I I titled this section Crabs Catching Crabs. (laughs) The ladies go through like a malting process and the guys go through like a malting process. Okay. But the, the ladies, their final malt, which is also called the pubescent, or excuse me, Hubertal malt. It's their terminal malt. It's the malt where they mature. Their pubertal malt. Their pubertal malt. <laughs> so the thing is, is they need to be impregnated immediately following that malt. Oh, wow. Right. So the dudes, they hang out in these kind of like tidal streams and stuff. That's where like all the dudes hang out. Mm-hmm. And the ladies kind of hang out in the open bay. And so when they're like, I kind of feel my terminal malt coming on, they'll go all the way up to the creeks because that's where all the dudes are. Mm -hmm. And the dudes will meet a receptive lady up to seven days before mating. And then we'll hang out with her until she molts. Like help her out of her coat. (laughs) I actually think he just watches her get out of it himself. Yeah. And then (laughs) he like climbs on top and he uses his Washington monument to... Um, <laughs> transfer the spermatophore into her seminal receptacle. Yes. And then he'll stay over her protectively for like a day oh. as her shell hardens. 
because of the molting process, they like break through their existing shell and shed it. Right. And a new shell is soft underneath and that grows and then it hardens. Right. And then she can return to the open water more safely than if she were traveling with a fresh seminal receptacle full of (laughs) spunk (laughs) and a soft shell. You know, a soft, vulnerable shell, soft, vulnerable shell. And this is also how they get soft shell crabs. When they catch crabs, you can look for these like lines in their fins and you can be like, you know, it's like white lines or red lines or purple lines or like all these different, you know, whatever's. And then they will put those crabs in like molting tanks, essentially, where the crabs like live for a week or whatever until they molt. And then they like, you know, freeze them or kill them or like put them in a refrigerator and like send them off. And that's soft shell crab. That's the process for harvesting. Oh, wow. Soft shell crab. Okay. So she's molted. Her shell is hardened. Her seminal receptacles are full of spermatophore. (laughs) She tucks it away for up to a year. What? And she paddles back to the the water. So then winter comes. She hibernates. And during that time, she begins producing eggs. Okay? So she has all of these eggs inside her. This is why if you eat winter crab, if it's a female, it will frequently have eggs that are developing in it, which is, you know, part of the fun, I guess, if you're into that sort of thing. Nope. So we all know Igor Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, but the blue crab's Rite of Spring is to lay her eggs through her seminal receptacles. That's the exit route. And as the eggs pass, the sperm that is stored in there fertilizes the eggs. Then she puts all of these one to two million eggs packed under her apron, which is why it is so large, because it stores and protects the eggs Yes, in a spongy orange mass. <laughs> and this is, that's the sponge crab. So if you see a crab with a spongy orange mass on it, it's a lady and she's got a bunch of babies. Okay. Larvae develop over the course of about one week. And the pad, that bright orange pad, will turn dark gray just before hatching, which comes from all the eyes that these little babies are developing their little dark eye spots are what make the mass such a dark color Uh. (laughs) gosh so these little babies they begin their life in a planktonic stage they're called zoeals 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 and so obviously like a bunch of these get eaten that's why there's so many there's seven stages of the zoeal stage (laughs) and they look they're you know very small but they look shrimp like Hmm. and they have similar structures to shrimp and swim in a shrimp like manner where they wiggle their tails which is not how crabs get around right crab don't have tail Mm-hmm. So then, after they've gone through their zoeal stages, <laughs> they molt and they're megalopes. <laughs> okay. And these guys are a little bit more adapted to like they have like structures that look similar to like legs, like almost proto legs, or like the structures are bigger. They like seem to have like claw things that could like crawl around on the bottom so they can like forage or whatever. 
but they selectively migrate upward in the water column as tides travel landward towards estuaries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they will eventually arrive in brackish water where they'll spend the majority of their life. And there are chemical cues once they're there that prompt the metamorphosis from this megalope phase into the juvenile phase. And that's when they appear similar to the final adult form. I'm assuming that they probably don't talk about their phases in the same way that like other like insect arthropods. Are these like instars? Is it referred to that way? Oh, I didn't see that as each stage is called an instar, but I would venture a guess that that would be about arthropods and not just insects because... The instar is a generic term for the periods between molting. Okay, right. Yeah. So I guess I wouldn't know whether this means that there's 20 instars because there's 20 molts in an adult or if there's seven zoial stages and I don't know, however many, you know, like I don't know that. Yeah. Lines of inquiry. Lines of inquiry. <laughs> um. Okay. So females typically molt 18 times after the larval stage, while post-larval males will molt 20 times. Hmm. Post-larval male is the name of my next solo record. (laughs) And each time it gains about a third of its previous size, like after each of these post-larval molts. Do you have a sense of like how much time passes between these molts? Ooh. Like... I thought about this as the male crab was kind of like hovering over the female crab as she hardens. Right. I just wonder how long it takes before she'll bust out of that shell and into a new and start forming a new one. Or like, it just seems like. Sure. I'm assuming that it all happens like crazy fast, but probably not. Well, remember, remember that the ladies final molt, the terminal molt is the one before she has crabber course. Oh, right. Yes. So she's not going to molt again after that. Okay. Gotcha. Just to be clear, it varies depending on climate, Meredith, but in warmer weathers, like in the Gulf of Mexico, blue crabs may reach maturity within one year of hatching. Whereas in the Chesapeake Bay area, it may take up to 18 months to mature. So from egg to full crab reproducing crab is a year and it's molting okay 20 times in its crab form and at least seven is the zoyel and i forget the number of the wow whatever the other category i forget the total so it's like a matter of weeks in between molts really yeah it seems that way oh wow so i mean that is actually pretty fast yeah cool yeah interesting yeah major this is a very significant crab for commercial fishing Mm -hmm. millions and millions of dollars like in the year 2013 maryland was 50 million virginia 24 million north carolina 30 million louisiana 51 million big total of 192 million dollars yeah big deal i actually just saw some like i don't know a little over a week ago we go to this asian market it's called h mart (laughs) By Columbia, and it's amazing. But they've got like a like a little bin of blue crabs. It's like, hey guys, hey guys, hey guys. and they're like, cool, Meredith. That's all I got. <laughs> that 
that's fun. Oh man, that was a lot of information about a uh, a very common creature that I've never really considered. That's so cool. Yeah, I was. I don't know what took me there. It. I think that it's like um, I've been seeing some memes recently about how everything goes to crab, like everything evolves to crab. <laughs> And I encountered something in this of like, well, the larvae are shrimp-like, but then the adult form is crab. So it's like maybe they're more closely related to shrimp. You know, hmm. maybe this is like shape that it took. So. so interesting. And then, of course, there's the the fun fact that I think when we became friends on Facebook, like way back on in like 2011, <laughs> you had a I think your profile picture was you with a crab hat. Yeah. The felt crab hat. I actually yeah. just... Um, I was wondering why this door to the closet wasn't closing and I looked down and there was the felt crab hat. That <laughs> happened like two days ago. Everything comes back to the crab. Yeah, everything goes back to crab. <laughs> I love it. Well, you want to take a break? Maybe get a quick molt in? Yes. Oh, I'm breaking out of my skin. I'm coming out. <laughs> I want the world to know I am vulnerable. <laughs> break time. Tired of typing? Weary of writing? Too much transcription. Not enough carefree scurrying? Well, then Brand Clubby has the product for you. Shrew Scribes, transcription services for all creatures. Shrew Scribes utilizes the keen observational senses of rodents. To make sure no word is missed. The reduced vision in many shrews has led to improved hearing. Which will ensure an accurate transcription. Every time. Whether you need our shrews to transcribe existing audio. Or copy chicken scratch handwriting of primates. Or the pristine calligraphy of most birds. Our shrews are available via telephone. Internet. Brand Clubby Waifu Fungal Network. Or through partnership with Class Aves Transport. Call today. Or log on to the Brand Clubby web portal. To connect with a scribe specialist. Who will connect you with the shrew. Who best fits your need. Hashtag true scribes. Ha ha ha. Animal jokes. Ha ha ha. Are always funny. Ha 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 ha. What's up, everybody? I'm Patton Ocelot. Woo! Y'all Welcome to the stage, Penguin Bouncer. Thanks, Ocelot. You're great. All right. What did the duck say when he bought lipstick? Put it on my bill. <laughs> what did the elephant say to the naked man? How do you breathe through something so small? Why did the fish blush? Because it saw the ocean's bottom. Thank you, you guys have been great. Next up, our star feline Patnoss Lot. Give it up. Everyone, everybody, yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. What do you call a crate full of ducks? A box of quackers. <laughs> what did the dog say when he sat on sandpaper? Rough. <laughs> what do you call a group of rabbits hopping backwards? 
a receding hairline. <laughs> You've been great. Have a great night, everybody. Ah, we love you. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Animal jokes. Ha, ha, ha. Are always funny. Ha, 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 ha. Text on a you. Text on a we. Text on a who. Text on a me. Kingdom. And Amelia. It's why we gather every week. Phylum. Chordata. Vertebrates are great. Class. Actinopterygii. Say it with me, ray-finned fishes. Order. Cyniperiforms, carp, minnows, and loaches. Family. Cyprinidae. Fresh water is their home. Genus. Squalius. 52 recognized species. Species. Squalius. Cephalus. It's the most body positive of all the fish. It's the common chub. Oh. Oh. Do you know the chub? I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't. I didn't know the chub because we were, again, I'm sorry to always bring this back to crosswords, but there's like a crossword clue last week of something about like, like one of the most common bait fish, I think, or something. And then it was, we were laughing because we were like, is this chub? And it was indeed chub. I was like, this can't be. And so I looked him up and they're for real. They're so for real. Wow. Um, yeah, I guess I'm not familiar with the Rafe and fish variety. <laughs> I guess exactly. I knew they weren't talking about other mm, kinds. Right. Though I will say smut did come Ooh. up in the crossword oh. today. And I was like, oh, you go. Keeping it smutty. But it did make me think of, um, you know, our favorite piece of cultural production. Cats, the musical. Uh-huh. The song Gus. But it made me think of like, his name is Squalius Cephalus. But that's such a fuss to pronounce <laughs> that we usually just call him Chub. Whoa, deep cut, Meredith. <laughs> You know, it really just popped into my head. It was like, as it was going through all the names, it was like, or just Chubb. I was like, oh, we usually call him just Chubb. Chubb, just Chubb. Yeah. So, I mean, these guys are like, um, kind of like your blue crab. It's a very commonly fished thing. Uh, they're very, very, very common, um, as we uh -huh. will see. But uh -huh. let's just go through it. So, it's kind of fun to just like learn about something that's so ubiquitous and probably doesn't outside of, you know, like fisheries biology doesn't get like a whole, whole, whole lot of attention. So let's give the chub its due. Okay. So tax facts. <laughs> we know them. We love them. The class of actinopterygii or act actinopterygii. Not sure which it is. Yes. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but we do know that they're ray-finned and that they're fishes. They are the ray-finned fishes as opposed to, again, cartilaginous the fish. cartilaginous fishes. Or the lobe-finned fishes was the other? Yes, lobe-finned. The sarcopterygy. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh -huh. So that's a class, the ray-finned fishes. So, again, they have the fins that aren't made of cartilage, but they have, like, it's kind of a membrane kind of distinguished by these little bony rays within them. Yeah. If you think of like a typical fish fin is ray fin. Yeah. Typically. Exactly. Okay. Order. Cypriniforms. I mispronounced this in the tax cheer, but here it is. Cypriniforms. 
okay? Carp, minnows, and loaches. I know carp. I know minnows. I don't know loaches, though. But these are like sucker fish. So these are kind of those fish that are just like, oh. they kind of look like they've got a major overbite. Right. They're pretty fun looking. Yeah, like... <laughs> so these are the ones that are going to be like sucking up the gravel or like kind of attached by mouth to the side of your aquarium. Uh-huh. That's a loach. Not to be confused with leech, though there is some similar suckage. Uh-huh. Okay. So, interestingly, so of the cypriniforms, all of these fish are going to have a single dorsal fin as opposed to a dorsal fin that has, like, another kind of, um, another fin behind it. This is nothing I would have noticed with my dumb non-biologist eyes. Sure. But apparently it's a big deal that these guys just have a single dorsal fin and no, like auxiliary fin directly behind it. Isn't that the anal fin? It's not the anal fin. It's like another... It might even still be considered part of the dorsal fin. Well, a dorsal fin. Complex. Yeah, maybe it's like an a, like an A column and a B and a C column and a car. Sure. And like some yeah. cars have D columns, but not all of them do. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But... Another interesting fact about this order of the Sopriniforms is that they don't have teeth in their mouth, but they have what's called pharyngeal teeth. Oh, pharyngeal. Ugh. So they've got teeth in their throats. In their pharynx. Yeah, the throat. Yeah, which sounds to me like a 70s porn. <laughs> pharyngeal teeth? A.K.A. gill rakers. <laughs> gill rakers. <laughs> Wider than a mile. I see them when you smile. Deep down. See, I was referencing the James Bond movie called Moonraker. Oh. But Meredith was referencing Moon River. <laughs> Which probably has nothing to do in any way with throat teeth or 70s porn. Pharynxes. Or gill pharynxes, gill rakers. But anyway, so it's essentially like their teeth are like down in their throat and they're like gill-like, but they have no relation to like the breathing apparatus, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And so also in this order of soprinoforms... Um, it's very, it's a very, very, very numerous order. Like, there's just a lot of families within this order. So, with that being said, um, there's just new species being described, like, every month or so. So, this is a hot order, y'all. Subscribe to this newsletter because shit is That's just happening. so nuts. Okay. The abundance of life. I know. So, just Really. It moves me. And, and the people doing the work to describe it all it's just the people doing the work for like nothing i know for like but for love of fish for love of fish i know i know Ugh. yeah a good friend of mine used to date a fisheries biologist and uh and i never really like understood but i think like what would draw somebody into that line of work but I, you know i think i get it now i think i understand there's just so much there's so much there. There's just like unlimited discoveries to be made. Right. Right. Well, it's the, do the thing that you do and keep getting better at it. Right. And like follow your interests. Exactly. 
So And you will work. It's never, I don't subscribe to this, enjoy your job and you'll never work a day in your life because that's something that a lazy person says. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more the opposite where it's do something that you love and then never stop working at it, you know? Like, just yeah. keep doing like it, that. even if it's just, uh, this isn't a podcast anyway. about capitalism. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> or the patriarchy. Definitely this is not. about faith and fishes. Uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> it's also about the largest, one of the largest families of fish, the Saprinidae. It said on Wikipedia, though I feel like I should start keeping a running list of all these things, but this is the largest family of vertebrates. But I feel like we've heard that before. But also, it's like, I don't know. I feel like we've heard it's the largest blank of blank so many times, but there's so many blanks that maybe I haven't said this before. Well, it's like in baseball where they're like, he's the first pitcher to have struck out three batters in the third inning of the second mm-hmm. <laughs> all-star series game that's taking place at the home stadium when it's raining. And you're like, right. what statistic is that? <laughs> Who is keeping track of all this shit? Right. But anyway, so yeah, apparently the family of Saprinda Day is the largest family of vertebrates, but you know, I'll believe it until I read it somewhere else and forget all about this conversation. Yeah. Okay. Supreme. So also, Supreme Day. So also, well, you had said earlier. Uh, I would like to say you've, hit, but earlier wasn't it that Persiforms? There's like a thing about Persiforms where they're like, yes, like, exactly. Like they're but the think... somethingest, like most numerous, and they compare them to arthropods. Right. Let me see if I can. F- okay. So this was the fighting conch that that was under, right? I just think aquatic environments are just extra super fierce at, you know, continuing life. I think that's really the takeaway, at least on the planet Earth, you know. The last time we were talking about this, which is why this is like kind of current in our brains, it was from, we were talking about the phylum of mollusca, okay? Right, the phylum mollusca. Which is the second largest phylum Uh of invertebrates after after arthropods. And so when I was saying this is not to be confused with what we talked about with squamata, which is the second larger largest order of vertebrates after Persiform fish. So Persiform, the order. It's an order. Which isn't even what we're talking about. Right. So I think here we're talking about family. Right. Okay. So now we're t- this is the largest family of vertebrates. Ooh. Yeah. Yes. So your baseball analogy was like <laughs> really spot on. It's kind of right on. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we are dealing with like a different taxon levels. Yes. Yeah. But we're encountering the largest of those taxons, you know. Yeah, totally. Which is really cool. So I guess that's kind of an interesting thing to know. It'd be like, what is the largest, the first five largest? You know, when we develop our biology curriculum... This is a good thing to include in it. Like a quiz. Like what are the top five most numerous phyla? So it'd be arthropods and then mollusca. I know the top two. When it comes to order, what are we talking? Kingdom phylum class order would be the persiform Persiform fish. So it's not as big of a deal as like persiform fishes. Because those are happening at a higher taxon level. Uh Uh-huh. Family 
Cyprinidae, largest family of vertebrates, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we're, that's not up for debate. <laughs> it's also called, it could either be called the carp family or the minnow family. Carps and minnows together. Carps and minnows, but I would love to see them on Family Feud. Um, Carps versus the minnows? <laughs> yes. I think that'd be very cute. Boom. Obviously hosted by Richard Dawson, my first childhood crush. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, so these are exclusively also hosted by Louis Anderson at one point, who's now my favorite actor in the whole yeah. wide world. Yeah. He is something else. Okay. So exclusively freshwater are these guys, whereas like in the order of Supriniforms, they're mostly freshwater, some brackish, and then like a few sea seawater. Saltwater, <laughs> that's the word. Saltwater, but in the family of Saprinidae, it's all freshwater. And then, okay, interesting vocab concept. All the fish in this family possess what's called a, I don't know if it's a Weberian organ or a Weberian organ. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Webern makes an appearance. <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> So I'm I'm gonna just assume well it's it's not two bees, so I don't think it's like Weber. Sure. So sure. let's just go with it. A Weberian organ. A Weberian organ. It's very quiet. <laughs> Which relates to their sense of hearing, actually. <laughs> wow. In that it it's not even an organ, it's almost like a complex or like a system. So it essentially it's this like link between um it transfers motion from the gas bladder. So that thing that kind of regulates fish buoyancy to the inner ear. And somehow that translates to the fish's sense of hearing. I don't really understand that. I don't really get how that works. But. Interesting. That's the Weberian organ. <laughs> yes. Interesting. I don't, I don't get it at all. But. I mean, I guess it would be. Yeah. I would have to look at. I would have to read about your anatomy of fish. I don't know it. But I do know that fish detect like electric signals in a different way like our our understanding of senses is different than a fish's understanding of senses i know that there's conceptual right but i don't know about the ear anatomy yeah but i'm sure if it's like motion in the gas bladder maybe the gas bladder is like really sensitive to like vibrations and then that would i mean my gas bladder is completely desensitized to vibrations if we're honest yeah, I was going to say, there's always a little bit of motion in my gas bladder. God, this hummus I made, it's ripping me up. Part of Roach Battle 2021 <laughs> has been cleaning out the cupboards. And so there's a jar, this jar of garbanzo beans, and I have until May. <laughs> wonder if that's enough time. Hummus it up, baby. Get that gas bladder blowing. Yeah, I'm going to pull out that food processor and chop up some garbanzo beans. This this hummus batch killed my food processor. No. <laughs> like she's done. No. She was like, uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> but that hummus was good. Well, they have the best tahini but, at the grocery store. Mm. Oh, a good tahini. There's just nothing like it. <laughs> I can talk about this stuff all day. But we're talking Vibarian organs. But this isn't a chickpea podcast. This is a Vibarian <laughs> organ podcast. It's not what it sounds like. <laughs> Which wouldn't sound like much. Okay, so in general, the Sprinidae are a very important food fish. 
if you think about this, so they they live in um, primarily like Eurasia in the streams and in small rivers. And considering the size of this family, that's like a lot of biomass in these landlocked countries. So it makes sense that they would be a primary source of protein in those countries. So they're very highly, highly, highly fished. Okay, finally, oh my God, how are we still in tax facts? I have no idea, Meredith. (laughs) What a wealth of information about our chubs. So now we're in the genus of Squalius. So there's 52 recognized species of chubs. One for every week of the year. You got it, including my my two favorites, the chocolate chub Uh and the thick-lipped chub. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And then finally, we get to our... Our star, our star student, the species Squalius cephalus, but we usually call him just Chubb. Okay, so about his appearance. I bet he's svelte. <laughs> very, well, you know, it's, okay, the description reads, it's a stocky fish with a large rounded head. You know, and I really wouldn't call it stocky. This isn't like a, you know, like a big mouth billy bass or something. Like, I honestly... It just looks like a fish. Like, there's nothing really distinguishing about it. He's kind of gray. It just looks like a very common stream fish. And, hey, no shade. Uh Uh-huh. No shade at all. This is why we're talking about him. These guys rule. People live off chub. Uh Uh-huh. Well, yeah. (laughs) So, it is important that we talk about them, but they are very, um, how do you say? How do you say? Cucumber? No. How do you say? Um... I don't know. I don't want to say plain because I don't want it to be pejorative, but there's nothing wrong with plain. Sure. Well, we need plain and we love plain. Meredith, I'm reminded of a sentiment that some people express where they feel that what gay culture considers to be fat, straight culture would consider to be thin because gay culture has unreasonable fitness expectations. You know, that's a quick synopsis of it. Yeah. Yes. In the, you know, hashtag <laughs> yeah. gay, fat, straight, thin. And so maybe it's like that with the fishes. Maybe it's fish fat is primate thin. You know what I mean? Maybe we're imposing our concepts of like whoa, fish body types sure. onto this fish. And I think that maybe the person that named it the chub or the people perhaps that named it the chub, I think that maybe it was just a little pejorative and maybe it was... Uh, a little bit rooted in their like own quest for I don't know I guess skinniness perhaps or maybe they they were valued for chub oh interesting it's like this is the fish to eat because it's got that chub yeah I like yours better like that's a source of protein that is like sustenance that is like health so who knows who knows I didn't you know and I was looking for like etymology stuff and I didn't I didn't see anything chubs um Chubs. Okay. So the tail is dark brown or black. The dorsal fin is grayish green in color. All the other fins are orange red. So that's probably the most distinguishing thing about them is their little fins are kind of like orangey. Uh-huh. Um, they can be like, you know, they're typically around like 11 inches, so like just under a foot, but they can get up to like 60 or 80 centimeters long. So it is like a substantial fish. It's not, you know... We think like minnows also in the um, the same family, but they're a little bit bigger than minnows. We think of minnows as being very small, but these chubs have got some meat on them. Sure. God bless them. 
So um, as far as distribution, like I mentioned, so mostly found in northern Eurasia, small rivers and streams. And this, <laughs> they live in what's called the barbel zone. But the barbel zone is part of its own European classification of river zones. No. So, okay. so Because <laughs> the barbels, wasn't that the name of the structures on the catfish? Aren't those barbels? <gasps> yes. So, yeah, there is a, yeah, this is the barbel zone. So there's a whole barbel zone. There's a whole oh barbel zone. You know what else there is? What? There's a trout zone. <laughs> 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 which made me think of Discovery Zone, which is where a kid can go to be on his own. Um, <laughs> there's ball pits. There's slides. Uh-huh. I don't know what's happening in the trout zone, but there's definitely. I don't a know that I want to go to a birthday party and there. A slide, <laughs> but you don't want to get in either of them. No, but so all these zones are like named after the fish or like one of the predominant fish that lives there. So there's the grayling zone, the barbel zone, and the bream zone. Uh-huh. In addition to the trout Fun. zone. So they're all like differentiated by like water temperature, sure. oxygen levels, like gradient um, of the land. So, yeah, those are <laughs> that's the European oh. river. I'm zones. excited to know <laughs> that if I really need some barbel energy, I can just head to the barbel zone, you know. Just go there. Just go there. I find that comforting. Just wade in, you know. Okay. In terms of behavior, a few quick things. So, like, the kid chubs, they like to hang out in groups um, known as shoals or schools. Um, And adults are more solitary. Um, They like to eat, like, kind of a lot. So, worms, mollusks, crustaceans, insect larvae, other small fish, eels, other minnows, frogs, crayfish, voles, young water birds, and okay, and they're chewing all of this in their throats. Wow. Keep in mind. God. Yikes. This is really dear. So they've also been observed eating berries, <laughs> such as blackberries and elderberries from trees overhanging the water. <laughs> <laughs> so they just reach out and pluck a ripe berry from the branch. And these bad boys, they can live up to 22 years in the wild. And the age could actually be assessed through like the number of rings that are visible that are visible in their scales, okay. which I didn't know. But so earwax plugs, scale rings, <laughs> yes, apron shape, love it all. You can use any of these apron things shape. to age a creature. Yes, and you know I mentioned some of this a little bit in terms of like human interaction. So very popular amongst fishers because they really like to eat kind of like whatever their willingness to be fed. They can even be, like, caught with lunch meat. So you, like, strap on some, what was the name of that gross lunch meat? Gross, like, Carl Budding or something? I don't know. Some weird, you can just pop on some processed ham and then catch yourself a chub. <laughs> <laughs> it's not news to me, Meredith. <sighs> Same. Also found to be, because these are, you know, they're stream fish, they're freshwater fish, they're very susceptible to, like, these microplastics that have become more and more, I guess, well-publicized, as they should in recent years. Also kind of metals that will accumulate in the water, even, like, fibers that kind of just come off from clothing washing and things like that. All these have been found within these fish. Um, And then there was just, like, a lot more information about, like, fishing tactics, but this isn't a fishing podcast. It's not a fishing podcast. I said, nope, this is where it ends, and this is where it ends. Yeah. So, 
There's Chubbs. Thank you uh, for your Chubb report, Meredith. Chubb report. Thank you. I mean, I'm rendered speechless. I had no idea <laughs> that there was a fish named the Chubb. I didn't either. I'm very glad but to know great. that now. I think it's noteworthy that we've been on this sort of aquatic journey lately. I know. This week was sort of a different sort of aquatic journey. I had even considered mm-hmm. doing a different creature like a different ordered creature but I didn't have like a species chosen and then when I sat down to research I was just like I want to know more about the blue crap so I don't know I think our tidal pools are I don't know sink yeah they're sink our pools are are (laughs) sink so thank you yeah thank you break time you've asked for it You've begged for it. The wait is over. And the time is now. For Brand Colby's long-awaited entrance into the exciting world of liturgical garments. Introducing Creature Cassocks, outfitters for the entire Garden of Eden. Some of our most buzzed about collections include... Vermin Vestments. Size down for the meekest of mouse servants. Clerical Cats. Featuring exclusive Fisher of Men prints. Dogmatic Doggos. With tail holes, of course. And don't forget to join us this month for... Monkfish Madness! With all monkfish robes and unbelievable 40% off. Check out the entire Creature Cassocks, outfitters for the entire Garden of Eden collection at the Brand Clubby web portal. Even you sneaky serpents can receive 10% off your first order. Excuse me. <coughs> oh, I breathed in some oats there. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely hit. I hope we're in the feed bag. If not, I think, I think we probably are. <laughs> I think it's that time of day. You know, Meredith, before we get too deep in the feed bag, I just have to say that I encountered a word that we both like in my research on the blue crab. Is it girdle? And, no, it's fecundity. <laughs> Only my, the only word that could precede gir, gir, girdle. I say gurgle. In the list, I know, fecundity. Oh, fecundity. Girdle's a good guess, though, because, you know, it is an arthropod. Yeah. But no, um, fecundity, because it was like the blue crabs, you know, redonk fecundity was pretty much the sentence. <laughs> Verbatim. This fecundity is. Redonk fecundity. Redonk donk. Let's hear it for fecundity. Yeah. Okay. So Caroline from Terra Haute asks, as we move into the first quarter of the year, can we get an update on the status of your Ungulate rebrand? Whew. This is a great question, Caroline. Um, status is good. Definitely good. Um, I think we've been doing a really good job of, you know, kind of pronouncing our... <laughs> <laughs> pronouncing pronunciation correct. <laughs> Whoa. (laughs) Pronouncing the new. Good thing this isn't before the brand clubby board because I would have failed. This is a good practice run for when we do have to present 
represent our brand to the brand clubby board. Right. right, yeah. So, you know, we're practicing. Ungolet. Ungolet. Artiodactyla. 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 Yeah, ungulate. I just love to undulate, you know? Like, yes. that was, I guess, part of what drew me to the ungulates. Me too. Is that I was like, I like to undulate. You're, It's in your name. Yes. But I realize now that ungulate is... It's the commonly accepted pronunciation as much as we do not want it to be. Right, right. But Because I guess under, like, under our definition of, like, where undulate is the... The operative word there, then those like sock puppets outside of cell phone places would have to be also artiodactyla. Sure. Because <laughs> they're the kings of undulation. I, <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess that like, I guess that when I think of undulating, I don't think about walking around on my tip. I wouldn't describe that as like an undulation. And so the ungulate, like, I, get, I don't even know the root. I don't know the etymology and I don't know the entomology right. about this word. So I'm. The entomology. I would like to apologize for our mispronunciations and we are working. Yeah. So, Caroline, the, bra- the rebranding is going well. We are not experts. But we clearly need some more practice. But we're moving in the right direction. Thank you for your question. Yes. Thank you. Ding, ding, ding. A fish visit. Ding, ding, ding. Deep friend of the pod, former guest, Jack from New York City. Hey, Jack. My favorite. Asks, would a giraffe or a gazelle be a better break dancer? Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't want to answer too fast, but I just had a gut reaction to this. Okay. Because I will say, like, giraffes, they've got those great necks, but they also can get, like, real low, but still maintain maintain control because, you know, they have to, like, spread their legs out real wide to be able to get water. Yes. So I think they've got like the muscle control and the like experiencing of different levels that I think like any mover dancer needs to um, be in their body with. So I'm just going to say giraffe. Plus there's like so much of dance in general, including breakdancing is going to be like spine related. And talking about undulation, just kind of manipulation of the spine. Sure. And being that the giraffe has such a prominent spine situation. Sure. I'm going to go with giraffe. I guess, Meredith, when I think of breakdancing, the thing that I really think about is the head spin. Sure. That move in particular. Yeah, of course. And I think of it as being like a sort of almost contortionist sort of like body manipulation thing where it's like lots of fast spinning and motion and like transitioning from like a tight ball to a pose you know sort of thing and like yeah like a something that a gymnast body type would be better lent to something like that one might say than a lankier body type Mm. so i wonder if it's the same with the giraffe but i also think that like is the head spin like what are the salient qualities of breakdancing and I would like to see what the giraffe has to offer. Sure. But I, my money's on the gazelle. Gotcha. I mean, also, too, it's like with all the things we talk about, especially dance, 
is that it's never a monolith. So within breakdancing itself, it might be that the gazelle would specialize in one type of breakdancing, whereas the giraffe would specialize in another. Right. And because of their different body shapes and their own, like, natural gifts. So, right. you know, maybe it's just that depending on the dance, one will be better than the other, but they'll both be great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they can also definitely both teach you how to ducky. Definitely. Definitely. A, a fish position? <laughs> a fish position, definitely. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. And our last question. So Lyle from Tampa wants to know, how do you know when the love is real between you and your fighting conch? Or conch? Um, oh man, Lyle, this is hard. Look, Lyle, I guess an important thing is consent. I think that it's good to know that you're fighting conscious consenting to your expressions of love. Or do we even know that it's consenting to your expressions of love? I mean, I guess that's what you're asking. I think that might be what you're asking. Yeah. Do you feel like it's kind of a one sided thing? Like, what do you and your fighting conch talk about? Or, like, what are things that you have in common? Or what do you like doing together? And how does your fighting conch communicate with you? Yeah, because it's not going to be the same for every fighting conch. Some might propel themselves with their, what is it, the operculum? They might propel themselves at the glass. And you hear a little click, click. When they throw their shells against the glass, or maybe it's just a, a subtle, a subtle like little twitch of an eye stalk. But, but I think you'd have to like really know your fighting conch. Yeah. I don't think there's a real like answer for all fighting conches. Yeah, it's not like if you put the conch to your ear and you hear the ocean, then it's a yes. Mm -mm. It's not like that. Mm -mm. Because then that means your conch was right. dead right. and empty. So I guess, I don't know, maybe get... Um, do you have any friends, Lyle, that you could maybe speak to about this situation? Maybe they could kind of help you assess. Like, I don't know what your circumstance is, you know? I know romance can be tough. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But I'd say just really get to know your conch. And if love is just this kind of like unspoken vibe that you have that is just very separate, separated by the glass of the aquarium and you're the glass of your eyes, then that's fine. But I wouldn't try to like go beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's okay to like love from afar, but part of that is also... Yes. You know, it's it, you have to live and let live. And the let live is the yes. hardest part know, sometimes, Lyle. Yeah, know the limits. Know the limits, Lyle. Like sometimes you just have to let someone else live, you know? But I think we can be certain that your fighting conch is probably thankful in its own way for the food and the habitat that you've provided them. Affirmative. Yeah, yeah. a fish position. A fish position. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. Well, Keep the questions coming. AnimalFanClubPod at gmail.com. You know, we love to hear from you. And um, Meredith, I hope you have a lovely weekend animals. Hey, thank you. Me too.
Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club. <laughs>